Okay, we are in the book of Ecclesiastes, and if you've got your Bibles, that's great. If you've got this little book here, um, we are uh, providing a, a booklet for you guys. This is a resource. This is a bound journal um, with the book of Ecclesiastes in it. It's a large font. It's great spacing. It's got a journal a page, those kinds of things. It's three bucks in the back at the stoop, and so you can grab one. Uh, Daniel's actually will give it to you now if you want, now, or you can grab one at the stoop. Um, so this is a resource. This is a preaching aid to help you guys take notes what, one, during the sermon, but then two, in your private study. And so if you want one of those, go ahead and just raise up your hand and, and Daniel will get that or you can just grab it at the end of the service. Um, okay, let's do some review from last week because we are journeying through the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is an Old Testament book. It's a historic book that tries to answer life's hardest questions. And so this last week we, st- we um, came up with a couple of things. We came up with this idea idea of what the preacher came out hot and heavy with is this idea of vanity. Um, anybody remember what the, the, this word vanity means? And I'll go ahead and say it's not taking selfies. It's not mirror, mirror on the wall who's the fairest. So it's a different type of vanity. Anybody remember either the illustration or the definition of vanity? Smoke or breath or vapor or wind, okay? And so the way that we need to look at vanity is on a cool, crisp autumn morning when you walk outside and you breathe and what you see is that breath or that vapor or their mist, that's the word for vanity because the word vanity actually means fleeting or short-lived or ephemeral, those types of things. So we looked at this idea of vanity. The second thing we looked at is this, this, this one question that starts the book of, of Ecclesiastes. And it starts this, the book of Ecclesiastes in verse 3 starts this, What does a man gain by all of his toil? So we spent a ton of time just looking at these two words and really like all of the work and the toil that we do day in and day out, what exactly is the gain? What exactly is the leftovers? What exactly do we have to prove for all of the work that we have? At the end of last week's um, session and in the books of Ecclesiastes, he's going to answer this question over and over and over one way. So what do we have to gain for all of our work and toil? And the answer was, and the answer will continue to be, oh boy. Okay, we're going to try it one more time because I just feel like you're you're timid. What is the gain for all of our toil? Nothing. Now that is pretty brutal, isn't it? That we can work and we can put forth all kinds of effort and energy and still have nothing left over or to prove for all of that toil. And the last thing that we looked at was this phrase, under the sun. And this is actually the subtitle of the book of Ecclesiastes. What we've entitled this entire series is Under the Sun because this one phrase kind of encapsulates everything that is happening on planet Earth. And that's why the graphic just has all kinds of explosion of life and relationships. Because the author wants us to consider every single action and relationship that you have here as you walk on the planet underneath the sun. It's a very horizontal view of life. This is a very secular way to look at life. 
a very human way of looking at life. And he will say, apart from God, without him, without him having some impact on us, as we walk under the sun, everything that we work for is truly just a vapor. It's simply a breath. It's simply fleeting and short-lived. And so, so today, we're going to turn to um, chapter 2. Uh, or actually, we're going to spend time in mostly in chapter 2, but we're going to pick up in verse 12. And before I do that, I wanted to share a little bit about this phrase. Um, what is, what's checking off your box? All right? And so let me do some, some analysis here. Um, if you are, for instance, we're in a political cycle. And so if you are trying to pick a candidate local government, state government, you know, national government. You simply want a candidate who he or she is just what? Just checking off some of your boxes that you think are important. In the same way that you picked or you checked off a university or a college. You went to a a bunch of them and you were able to have some kind of analysis. But basically the reason that you picked the, the college or the school that you went to is because maybe just maybe it just checked off more boxes than all the other ones. Um, or maybe if you've purchased a car or a home lately, it simply just checked off the boxes. So after last week's uh, sermon, a lady approached me and she said, Hey, I just want to tell you a story. Uh, Ten years ago when I was in college, our our uh, church was studying through the book of Ecclesiastes. And the teaching back then went a little bit like this. They wanted the congregation or the small study or whatever it was, they wanted the people to then start looking at all of the things in life in which they needed to check off in order to have a better life. And so they wanted them to just look at all of the things in life Um, those relationships or those things, those boxes that had gone unchecked for many, many years, that once they were checked, then all of life began to kind of like get in place. And so there was this this struggle, this, this, if this happens, then life will be okay. If this happens, then man, everything will just go, go right. And so for the next couple of weeks, she went into this this kind of uh, dialogue with herself. There was an empty box, and she simply said, if I have this, then this. And so there's a causality to this. And over and over and over and over and over and over again, we all have empty boxes that anything that fits into this blank will have a direct result. So, if... I had more money, then fill in the blank. I could pay off some debt. If I had more money, then I'd be able to go on that vacation that I'd always wanted to go on. You see the drift? Like, so there's an empty box, and the empty box that's gone unchecked is the fact that you're poor or that you don't have as much money as you want. And the second you're able to gain that, then all of the promises of the world are able to give to you, right? Let's keep going. If my family had that Disney vacation, then my kids will love me forever or something like that. Why else would you spend $10,000 to go to Disney, right? I mean, like, it's, it's, it's a lot, okay? If, 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 if I didn't have to work two jobs, uh uh-oh, now we're stepping on some toes. If I didn't have to work two jobs, then whatever, I'd have more free time or what have you. 
If I could just graduate, then I would get that job that I was so promised. If I could find that spouse, then everything would go. Like, where are the empty boxes in your life? If Tennessee football was worth a dime, then I would be able to hold it to all of those Georgia fans out there and those Alabama fans and just stick it to them. Right, JP? Um, so, I mean, this is, these are unmarked check boxes. All right, so this is, this is your kind of uh, application for the day. Like, what in your life, or what boxes just have continued to go unchecked? What boxes continue to go unchecked? The, um, the conclusion of that story is, uh, she said, you know, it's been 10 years since I've done that exercise. And in reflecting back over 10 years, those unmarked check boxes have been checked. You see, I've graduated. I've gotten a job. I found a spouse. I now own a home. There's a sense of security. And it dawned on me this morning, this was last week, that today I simply just have more boxes. You see, wherever we are in life, right, there's going to be un checked boxes and we need to analyze that and so let's turn to the scriptures ecclesiastes chapter 1 verse 12 and he says simply this if you have your scriptures or if you got your little booklet right turn there now it says this i the preacher have been king over israel in jerusalem that's verse 12 but if you go all the way back up to uh, verse 1 of ecclesiastes uh, last week we we skipped that one we said, it says this, the words of the preacher, the son of David, king of Jerusalem. So now we just need to look at this question. Who exactly is this preacher in verse number one and in verse number 12? Who is this preacher? Well, the preacher is said to be the son of David. The preacher is said to be the king in Jerusalem. The preacher is said later on that he had more things or he had the ability to have more things than anybody else in Israel. That he had more wisdom, that he had more things, he had more experiences than anyone else. This idea of preacher, and there's a footnote in the ESV if you're looking at that, is another word for teacher or collector or those types of things. Maybe he's a professor or a librarian, but whoever he is, he's a collector of wisdom literature and he's able to dole that out to you and I. Throughout this series, I am going to teach this material, even though there's a little bit of debate, as if our preacher, the person who is writing this for us, who is able to preach to us and teach to us and be a good professor to us, is King Solomon himself. Mainly because of 1 Kings 4, uh, 29 and through 31, it says that God gave Solomon wisdom, exceedingly deep insight and understanding beyond all measure, like the sand on the seashore. Solomon's wisdom was greater than than that of all the men of the east, greater than all the wisdom of Egypt. He was wiser than, and it just lists men after men after men. This book we're going to assign to King Solomon, who was both king in Israel, who was the son of David, and who had exceedingly beyond all measure wisdom beyond all things. 
This section of scripture, it's the longest that we're going to teach through. It's going to start in verse 12 and it's go all the way through the end of chapter 2, which ends in verse 26. But I want to draw your attention to verse 12. It says, then I, the preacher, have been the king over Israel and Jerusalem. And verse 13 says, I have applied my heart to seek and to search. And then he says in verse 16, I said in my heart, I have acquired yada, yada, yada. Then in verse 2, or chapter 2, verse 1, he says, I said in my heart. And then you keep going in verse 12, he says it again. So I turned to consider. This entire passage from chapter uh, verse 11 and 12 in chapter 1 all the way to the end of chapter 2 in Ecclesiastes, this is incredibly biographical. This is simply a memoir of our preacher himself. He says, I, over and over and over again. It says that he was the one that had wisdom. He was the one that pursued. He was the one that was able to acquire. He was the one who had the wisdom. He was the one who was able to make over and over and over again. This is King Solomon saying, I have done all of this stuff and I want you to learn from me. And this is the summation of what he learned in this huge chunk of scripture. He learned, one, this vanity, this idea of fleeting, this idea of short-lived when you, are, you become a knowledge seeker, right? So some of us in here are knowledge seekers, and he just says that is fleeting. The second thing he's going to teach us is that this vanity you know, actually, uh, actually applies to those people who are pursuing pleasure for pleasure seekers out there. So it's not just the brainiacs out there. It's also the the frat boys, right? So this is not just knowledge, but also the pleasure. And then last, uh, thirdly, it says the vanity of righteous living. This idea of if these things don't work out, maybe I could just be a good boy or be a good girl. And then lastly, we'll see that the vanity of workaholics. You need to see something here. He leaves almost no stone unturned. And you and I could easily find ourselves in one of these four quadrants. Maybe, just maybe, you think that wisdom and knowledge are the thing that's the most important thing in the world. That's where your empty check marks are. Or maybe it's in pleasure-seeking or experiences. Others is in right living or morality. And the others is just, man, let's just work really, really hard. These are the four things that we will try to get through in a timely manner. Let's get to it. All right, so the vanity of, of, um, of seekers. Here we go. Verse 12. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to do this, to seek and to search out by wisdom, right, this idea of knowledge and wisdom, all that is done under heaven. Another kind of synonym of under uh, uh, everything under the sun. It is, and, and listen to this, so I I tried and I tried and I tried and I tried, uh, uh, 13b, and it is unhappy business. It's vanity. It's an unhappy business that God has given to the children man to be busy with. Man, I want to get out of this job description immediately, says Solomon. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity, a striving after the wind. So he's actually defining what vanity is here in in verse 14, that striving after wind or a vapor. It's just, it's frivolous. Then he gives us a proverb. He says, what is crooked cannot be made straight. What is lacking cannot be counted. 
I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. And my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to no wisdom and to no madness and to no folly. To and I perceive that this also is a striving after wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation. And he who increases knowledge increases in sorrow. And so where does King Solomon start first and foremost? He starts. He starts with this idea of knowledge. He starts on a university campus. And so what he tries to pursue and what he's trying to acquire, and he does acquire, is this idea that he is the, the, the class you know, he's the teacher's pet. He makes straight A's. He's going after it and it's coming to him. Everything falls in line when it comes to what he's able to obtain with his mind and able to like grasp onto knowledge and wisdom and these types of things. He is the class. He is the star pupil. He has the crest, the emblem on all of his blazers. He has the class ring. He just, he knows what to do. He is pursuing this over and over and over and it comes to him. And so he doesn't stop there. He's like, well, I have knowledge, but that's not satisfying. So he has to take another step. He says it's not just just acquiring it, but actually doing something with it. So he's once the pupil, but now he's actually the professor or the librarian or the one that has the things that he's sharing to others. He's the one who's not just studying, but he's the one who's publishing this stuff. He's not just the one at graduation. He's the one giving the graduation speech. Why? Because he is pursuing knowledge and he's pursuing wisdom. And so what did it come? He said simply that the more I knew, the sadder that I came. And so some of us in here came in underneath this quadrant that we are knowledge seekers. That we seek knowledge. That we want to hold on to the things that will make us smarter or get us forward in life. Now, is there anything wrong with being smart or obtaining wisdom and knowledge? Absolutely not. We need smart people, right? Because smart people keep us out of trouble and enlighten us on so things. But the thing that, that um, is with Solomon, he says, is this going to bring me meaning? is this is going to give me the sole understanding of my every existence. And he says, for that aim is vanity. It's not worth pursuing that. At the end of each of these little sections, King Solomon gives us a proverb. He says, what is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. And he says, for in much wisdom there's vexation. There's actually worry and frustration and annoyance. And he who increases in this knowledge actually increases in sorrow. What is crooked cannot be made straight. There are certain things in life that cannot be explained away. Why is there influenza? We don't know. Why are there hurricanes and tornadoes? We don't know. Why do some people able to graduate with honors and others are flunkouts? We just don't know. We can try and try and try to put people in a box, but the more that we know, the more confusion that we have. You see, why do the winds of a hurricane get wrapped up into a category five overnight? And literally wipe out an entire society 
in Marsh Harbor, Abaco. And then, in just a few short hours, it's downgraded to a Category 2 and a 1 and even stays off the shore of the East Coast. You can't answer that question and neither can I. There are certain things that are crooked that just cannot be made straight. Maybe, just maybe, if all of your boxes, right, that are going unchecked are in this quadrant, then you actually may find yourself more frustrated or more sad than ever. The second thing that he does is not just go after the knowledge seekers, right? Some of us in here that love books, that love libraries, we need to be cautioned. If this is you, there needs to be caution this morning. The second thing he does is he goes after pleasure seekers, all right? These guys are having a lot more fun than the people in the library. Chapter 2 says that, and then I said in my heart, that junk won't work. Let's try something else. Come now. I will test you with pleasure. And so he's looking at his heart. He's looking at the world. and He says, come on. I really want to see it. He says, I want to test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself, Solomon. I mean, you are going to have the time of your life. But behold, even this, this also is, was vanity. And so I concluded, I said, of laughing, of laughter, it's mad. And then of pleasure, what use is it? There is a vanity of seeking after pleasure. And the way that you do that in certain ways is that one, some of us have just the pleasure of a good time. Verse 3 says, I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine. Maybe, just maybe, what my heart needs is a good old belly laugh. And the way that I'm able to get to laughter is through wine. He's able to drink wine somehow and not get drunk. So this is not drunkenness. My heart still guided me with wisdom. He's just trying to find some kind of substance that will set him free. He's too uptight. He's been to the library. He wants to be free of all this stuff. And so he turns to wine and how to lay hold of folly. So I laugh the night away till I might see what is was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. And so in this, he said, I want a night on the town. I want to buy up a concert ticket. I want to go to the comedy club. I want to hear good things. I want to see good things. I want to drink good things. I want the fun to come to me. I've spent my days and months and years pursuing, pursuing knowledge. It didn't work that way. So now I'll just sit underneath the glow of fun and of folly. And it just didn't happen. So maybe, just maybe, you are a highbrow person and you reach all the way to the top shelf. And you're getting the, just the choicest wine or the best bourbon, right? And you want that to satisfy something. And it just never does. Or maybe, just maybe, you're a little bit more Appalachian than that and you go straight for the tab, right? And so you go straight and you go to the beer and the pretzels and just sit at the bar. So either high brow or low brow, it doesn't matter. When we try to pursue laughter and folly when it comes in a substance in a bottle, it just won't do. So maybe the vanity of pleasure, if it just starts with a good time, it just finishes as quickly as the hangover is over. Number two is just this idea of work. And so the pleasure seekers also have a pleasure in work. Look at this. Verse 4, I made great works. The drink is gone. 
And folly was not able, so I made great works. I built houses and I planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks. Notice here how everything is in plural. You and I can build a house or maybe a park, maybe. This guy, everything is just exorbitant. Parks and gardens and vineyards and houses. And I planted them with all kinds of fruit trees. I made for myself pools, right, from which the... Uh, which to water the forest of growing trees. He has pools. He has an irrigation so stout that it's able to water forests. The pools. I mean, these are enormous things. And so maybe, just maybe, I just like to work real hard and buy things out of my work. So I built things with my own hands. I'm able to do this stuff. And then I'm able to buy things. This pleasure of not just building, but also excess over and over. Not only am I building it, but they really are great and they're plural. So I made, uh, so then not only do I have a ton of gardens and fruit trees, but verse 7 says, I bought male and female slaves, plural, slaves who were even born in my house. Some people say that this is even generational slaves. So not only did I buy slaves, my slaves bought, uh, had slaves. And I also had great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women and many concubines, to the delight of the sons of man. Are we understanding this guy said no to nothing? This is the age of materialism. This is the age of secularism. This is what I am going to possess for me. It just simply is vanity. Maybe you're not the brainiac in here. Maybe just maybe you just hang on experiences and you just want to have a good time and you just want the thrill and you just want to experience it one more time. Maybe just maybe this is where your boxes go unchecked because you always continue to go on and on and on. The way that Solomon is checking off boxes so far is like this. I've got an empty box, and so I check it. I try to go get it, and I actually get it checked. But then at the end of these two pericopes, the box is simply just empty. It's just vanity. It's as if nothing happened. There is a theologian among us. His name is Jim Carrey. He says, I think everyone should get rich. And I think everybody should get famous. And I think everybody on this whole wide world should do everything they ever dreamed. Hard stop. So, they can see that it's not the answer. This is what King Solomon is saying. I've tried it, y'all. I've tried it. Anything that you can imagine. You're not richer than me. You don't have more influence than me. You're not smarter than me. I can outlive you and outparty you all day long. I can buy singers. I can have slaves and concubines. I can have whatever I want, whenever I want it. And let me tell you, it's empty. The first experiment, what haunted him was to be dumb. Or ignorant of things. The second experiment 
He just didn't want to be dull or boring. He just wanted to live life. And here we have on a, as our third experiment, this idea of righteous living. Verse 12. I didn't finish reading 9 through 11. Do that on your free time. Verse 12 says this. So partying didn't work. So I turned to consider wisdom and madness and folly. For what can a man do who comes after the king? Only what has already been done. This is just applied wisdom here. And then I saw that there is much gain. There is much, and this is why you give your life to this. Then I saw that there is much more gain in wisdom than in folly. Or another way to read this or interpret it, there is much gain in righteous living than being a fool. As there is more gain in light than in darkness. Now this is very spiritual. Those who walk in the light don't walk in the darkness. Those who understand God are able to understand things fully. The wise man has the eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And so what he is saying is surely, just surely, the way that you're able to understand all of life is simply right living. To do things well, to toe the line, to be moral, to understand where you came from, to know that your mom is always looking at you and will ask you the hard question, so that maybe just maybe religion will, will take care of you. Over and over, whether it's right living or morality or religiosity, this man who knew no, never said no, never said no, um, to any pleasure on earth, the pendulum has now swung to Mr. Right action and right doing and towing the line and never coloring outside the lines. He said, maybe if maybe, like just being crazy and wild won't do it. Maybe being straight as an arrow and living life to the fullest in that way, maybe that will do it. And yet I perceived that the same events happened to them all. Then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. And so there's really no difference between me, the wisest person to walk planet earth so far, and the, the, just the village idiot. He says, what happens to the fool will happen also to me. Why then should I give all of this effort and try? Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart that this also is vanity. Like the straight and narrow, like what am I going to gain from that? For of the wise as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance. Seeing that in the days to come, all will have been long forgotten. How the wise dies just like the fool. At the end of a foolish man's life and at the end of a wise man's life, there's still a coffin and six feet of dirt. And even though we lived totally different, there's a vanity of even righteous living. There's a short-livedness to that because at the end of life, Death is coming to us all. And it's in this death 
that the sobriety actually wakens him up. That the end is coming and I need to take it very, very, very seriously. It's in this third experiment that Solomon considers death. The idea that we could both end up the same way. How the wise dies just like the fool. And so in great turmoil, he says, So I hated life. Because what was done under the sun was grievous to me, for all is vanity, a striving after the wind. Maybe you're smart. Maybe you party. Maybe you are a moral being. And maybe, just maybe, you're a workaholic. Verse 18 says, I hated all my toil, all of the work that I did in which I toil under the sun." Seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And that's his concluding thought. Is the fact that why in the world am I working so hard to obtain all of these things? To get all of this stuff simply because when the day comes that I die, I'm going to leave it to someone. And so in Solomon's understanding, he was like, okay, so... Right living won't do it. And so what's the one thing that will outlast death? Well, all of my stuff. The house that I live in will outlive me. Or that, you know, that building that's named after me will, or monument will, you know, it will last longer than me. So obviously it's the things that I'm able to obtain through all of my work that will last longer than me. So that must be where all of life comes. And that's where the conclusion is a harsh conclusion. That everything that you obtain when you die will be left to someone else. And sometimes, just sometimes, the person that inherits or is given your stuff is the fool that you just criticized a few verses earlier. There's just nothing to gain under the sun. This has been an entirely secular chapter so far. And in the last verses, God shows up. And there's just a ray of hope that happens in verse 24. He says, There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. There's nothing better for a person than he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. Finally, some, some, some change. This also I saw is from the hand of God. That's the first time that we see God in our, in our passage so far. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? The rhetorical answer is no one. No one can eat or have enjoyment outside of the hand of God. For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. In our last passage, what we see is that God gives. And he is the one from his hand that gives you something to eat and something to, to drink and something to work for. And the result is wisdom and knowledge and joy. He's the giver of all good things. He allows us to work, not to gain, but he allows us to work, to enjoy the work. You see the difference? Because the second you turn that work as an, an, an aptitude to get something in the future, he says, that's where you have lost your grip. That's where you've lost your footing. It says, now 
Eating what's right in front of you is a gift from God. Drinking what is right in front of you is the gift from God. Understanding what God has given you to work or toil with right in front of you to enjoy it to the fullest. That's where the true wisdom and the knowledge and the toil actually comes and enjoyment comes from is to whatever is right in front of you for you to enjoy that to the fullest. That's why Jesus would say, give us this day our daily bread. That's why Paul would say, let us be content in all things. There is a now-ism, a present reality that Solomon is saying, quit being so futuristic that you're wasting today trying to think and prepare for tomorrow. Just be, be with who you're with right now. And whatever you do, whether word or deed, Paul would say, do it and for the glory of Jesus Christ, our Lord. God gives the good gifts of drink and food and toil and wisdom and knowledge and joy in this passage. But God's greatest gift to us all, obviously, is Jesus Christ, our Lord. For God so loved the world that he gave. His one and only son. The one who will complete our empty stomachs. The one who will complete our dry palates. The one who will be able to complete our work is Jesus and Jesus alone. This is the one that truly completes our story. Where we will fall short, Jesus will complete it fully. Got a couple of questions for you to consider. In application. The first question is pretty negative. It's for you to look at your present circumstances. And like the application of 10 years ago of some sermon I've never heard, is for you to do the same thing. What are the boxes that you desperately want checked? Because you think that once they get checked, all of life just comes into place. What are those things that you're simply putting too much faith in? Number two. It's a little more positive, right? This is a little bit more disciple-making, right? You've, you've got a, a box that's been checked at this point, right? You're on this side of the check mark. So what boxes have been checked in your life? The things that God has done for you. However, now you just see that there's just more boxes. There's more empty boxes. And so this is a conversation piece. This is a discipleship conversation for you to warn those people in your lives that, hey, I've been here, I've done that, I've tried to pursue it, and it just simply didn't pan out. And then lastly, we've been talking about these four quadrants, this idea of pleasure, wisdom, pleasure, work, uh, toil. We just want you to think about those four quadrants and simply say, what are the one or the two that I gravitate toward? And for you to confess what, to someone this week to say, you know, this is kind of where I'm at. Is that maybe, just maybe, I pursue wisdom or knowledge too heavily. Maybe, just maybe, I pursue pleasure way too much. Maybe, just maybe, righteous living, being moral, being a good person is where I've put all of my chips. Or lastly, just work. Just able to just kind of get it done. All of us in here can find ourselves here. Ultimately, you guys, Jesus completes all of our quadrants.
You see, in Jesus, he says, how do you know life? <laughs> you know life, you know God by knowing Jesus Christ, our Lord. He says, uh, for the joy set before us, Jesus endures the cross. Here, he says that Jesus, that he lived a righteous life. He lived the purpose, the perfect, uh, perfect life. And so our righteousness is actually his. And then lastly, the work, the toil of the cross is the only work that needs to be focused on. And he did it perfectly and completely. And so the communion table is whatever you drink. The communion table is in whatever you eat. And the communion table is in wherever you toil. You see the progression. Whether you eat, drink, drink, eat, and then work. All is completed in Christ Jesus. And so, brothers and sisters, as we take communion, help us consider where we have fallen short, but then also consider how Jesus Christ has completed where we are incomplete. Amen? Let's pray. And so, Jesus Christ, help us to consider fully and completely where you are taking us this morning. Help us to see Jesus. Help us to rest in Jesus's wisdom. Help us to rest, rest in Jesus's joy that he has given us, abundant joy. Help us to rest in Jesus's righteousness and rest in Jesus's work fully and completely. What Solomon has done is give us a gift this morning. He's given us a gift that we are incomplete and we need help. And he's also given us, through the New Testament, given us a reality that Jesus Christ has completed our empty boxes. There's nothing that we can do to check off our own boxes. Jesus has to do that for us. And it's in Jesus' name. Amen.